It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.07 on a Saturday morning, 69 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful in your landscape with any flower, any grass, any tree, any shrub, any pest, any question you have, organic or synthetic or weird or simple, or if you're a beginning gardener, welcome. If you're an experienced gardener, welcome. All you have to do is dial me, 404 and of course, we're newly arrived back from England, where we have been for two weeks. We, meaning me and 30 of my closest garden friends from here in the southeast. Ashley Frask, a great gratitude to her for hosting the show. To uh, Joe Lample and to Winston Eason for doing a great job being our guest. Mickey Gasway, of course, from Pike Nursery being our guest as well. Thank them for taking care of the show while I was gone. But while I was gone, one of the things that I really enjoy doing whenever I go to a new city or a new country is trying to keep my eyes open for signs, signs that mean something or don't mean something, or I can't quite figure out what they mean exactly. And I saw two signs in England that I thought were very, very interesting and curious to me. One of them I got an immediate explanation for was in the window of a pharmacy, and it said, under 25, contraception provided free. What, What is that about? And so I went inside and asked the pharmacist, and it turns out that in the British health system, girls that are, and boys too, uh, children that are 16 years and older can come in and can apply. There's a form. They fill out the form that says, I am sexually active and I need help with contraception. And the pharmacist will provide them contraception with no you know, notification of the parents, which I'm, uh, there are thoughts and questions about that not involving the parents with it. But nonetheless, if a child is sexually active, they have a big problem with sexually transmitted diseases, and so they want to make sure that they had these off in the past from the very beginning. And so that is one of the signs that I saw in the pharmacy there in England. The other one was amusing to me, because if you've been following the news, you know that England had a election about a week ago in which uh, Theresa May wanted to have an election to strengthen her hand in negotiating Brexit. And Theresa May overplayed her chances at this election and lost a number of seats. But in the area of England in which we were staying, there were campaign signs around the neighborhood saying, vote for this person, vote for that person. But one of the people's signs that I liked the most was for Jandy, J-A-N-D-Y, Jandy Smith. And Jandy Smith had a three-word platform for what she was running for. Ability, community, and bees. She was on the bee platform, and so I thought that was pretty amusing that she would run for a political office and be on the bee platform. And sure enough, on her website, she mentioned her support for pollinating plants and for the honeybees that were in decline in that part of the country, and how much she would do in the uh, House of Commons or whatever they were, she was running for to support the uh, the uh, planting of pollinating pollinator-friendly plants and the the helpful things they could do for the honeybees in the neighborhood. Ability, community, bees. 
Now, you may ask, all right, well, did she win? Uh, no, Jandy did not win. Jandy, in fact, got 255 votes. How much did the winner get? 32,667. So Jandy sadly did not quite meet the bar for election on her B platform in the winner, and the conservative party got a lot more votes than she did. But it was just great to see somebody who believes that bees are something you can run a political campaign on there in England. Again, our phone number, 404-872-0750. Eduardo in Douglasville joins us. Eduardo, hey, good morning. Yes, good morning, Walter, and thank you for taking my call. Sure, how can I help? Yes, well, I've been living in my house for like 10 years now, and um, I have the Builders Landscaping Bushes. Got it. And they are turning brown on me. Uh, when you say they, Eduardo, what kind of bushes are they, man? That I do not. I think it's just the general. They have small little leaves they're, on them. They're green. <laughs> they're green at, at the present time, but uh, a lot of them are turning brown. Like The whole right. stems are turning brown. Let's think about but it then. I mean, even if I don't know specifically what you have, and I'll tell you some choices that could be possible. Certainly, boxwoods are planted by builders. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the small holly shrubs are planted commonly by builders. Uh, English, uh, not English hawthorn, but uh, Indian hawthorn is planted commonly by builders. Okay. We don't know what you have exactly, but let's go with the symptoms themselves. How does the the dying of the leaves, how does it start? Does it start on one limb and go across the plant from the bottom and go up from the top down? What do you observe? I'm observing uh, from the bottom going up. Okay. So older leaves, then that, that tells me something. It says it's the older part of the plant. The bottom of the plant is the older part of the plant, not the top. So older part of the plant. Mm -hmm. um, when the leaves are falling, do they have spots that you observe, or do they just sort of turn brown, get crisp, and fall to the ground? Right. It turns brown, gets crisp, falls to the ground, and then the whole branch that they're on turns brown also. Ah, is it one branch at a time that turns, or is it the whole bottom half of the plant that's going that's involved in this disease? It seems like it's a branch at a time and just ah. multiplying. See, we're narrowing this down. Eduardo, I do a class for Master Gardeners called How to Be Sherlock Holmes in Your <laughs> Landscape, and I go through this whole process of you know, narrowing down, narrowing down. What could it be? What could it be? And mm -hmm. even though we don't know what shrub you have, now I'm thinking, if it's one limb at a time, this is very likely going to be either a root problem or one of the virulent leaf spots. Leaf spots, as you can figure out, okay. uh, splash the splash of water, moves the disease from the tip of the branch towards the interior of the, of the shrub, so the whole branch dies and defoliates. Yeah. And the same thing with a root problem. Problem if one side of the plant gets dry or gets damaged, or you know, Eduardo sticks a stick in there and breaks the root off. I don't know what it is, but if something happens to a root on one side of the plant, then that root that feeds the limb that's just above it, then the limb just above it dies away because the root's been damaged. Okay, so now Eduardo has the responsibility here, which is to go out and do a little Sherlock Holmesing of yourself, which is to go see. If the roots have been damaged, dig one up. Hey, they're dead anyway, Eduardo. We don't care. So dig one up and examine the roots and see if the root system looks dry, 
broken, brown, rotten, smelly. There are many things that could be down there, but their condition will tell you something about what it is going on. If it's dry, well, maybe drought caused some root damage, and the root damage caused the limb to, to die. If it's too wet, that could be phytophthora root rot, which would cause the limb again to die because of the root being damaged. If the roots are real smelly underneath there, you typically that's going to be too much water uh, has been applied. If the roots themselves look pretty good, then we look upward to the limb and try to find where did the damage on the dead limb start? Did it start at the end? And you can sometimes see that the limbs that are, or the leaves that are on the end are the ones that dropped off first, but there's still some green ones towards the center of the plant. And that gives you more clues, more clues. And then, Eduardo, you call me back next Saturday and say, hey, man, I saw this and this and this and this and this. Well, what do you think? And not only that, but you went to a local pike nursery with a leaf and said, what is this? And they identified it for you, and then we can talk more about it. <laughs> okay, Walter. Thank you very much. All right. I look forward to seeing you again next Saturday, Eduardo. All right. You have a great day. All right, man. We'll see you soon. 404-872-0750. You know, that was easy. We did a little little Sherlock Holmesing in the landscape. And if you have a question that you think needs a little attention from the garden detective, you can call me. 404-872-0750. Uh, Stan, 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 Stan's on Stockbridge. joins us. Hey, Stan, good morning. Good morning. Hey, I got a question about a big old live oak tree. Yes, sir. Um, this thing is, uh, the stump's going to be about six foot across. And over the years, um, I have been breaking off this fungus mushroom, for lack of a better term, right around the, at the very base of the tree. I mean, these things get two, three feet across. Wow. They weigh about 20 pounds. Wow. They're dark, dark color, very dark color. Um, now, <clears throat> just this week, um, it started dropping dry leaves. Yeah. It just doesn't sound like the right time of year for me, and I'm trying to think, you know, this just doesn't look right to me. All right. Well, uh, let me let me interrupt you to say the Sherlock Holmes part have, yeah. has already been described, has already been given the symptom that or the clue that really makes a lot of difference here, Stan. That mushroom at the base of the tree is an indication that there's a fungus feeding on the interior of the tree or on the massive roots that are right there at the base of the tree. That's what a mushroom says. Mushroom is a fruiting body of a decomposing fungus that's inside or underneath the base of the tree. Fruiting, yeah. I mean, mushrooms or fungi inside a tree is not a great thing to have on a great big live oak tree like you have because it weakens no. the tree. Why and how it came to be in the first place, we don't know. But we know at this point there's something not good at the base of the tree. And because I'm on the radio and I don't have pictures and I don't have sort of a I can't see what's going on with the tree itself. I will only say that your best bet is to hire a certified consulting arborist and say, come out here, look at my tree, and give me a real good uh, examination of the health of the tree and tell me what I ought to do. They're the people who are tree huggers. They love trees. They don't want to cut one down, but they're certified and trained to know what to do when you have trees with symptoms like yours. Exactly. Um, the leaf issue is a, is a seems to be a progression to me and I was just kind of trying to figure out if that was something to be immediately concerned with um, or is, do live oaks just start dropping leaves? Not usually they do in the wintertime yeah when it gets cold they'll, they'll drop leaves then if you need to find that certified arborist uh, 
understand the easiest way is to go to a website called georgiaarborist.org. And there's a list down to my elbow there of certified arborists. Some work for tree companies. Some are, are single guys and women that work by themselves. So choose one of them and say, come look at my tree and help determine what's going on with the leaves, why they're falling, what's going on with the root system, if the tree is leaning to one side or another, if there's a basal plate that's upheaved on one side of the tree. A lot of things that they can see that I can't. You need a certified arborist, georgiaarborist.org. It's 719. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the Lawn and Garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today, 90 degrees in the afternoon, sort of warm outside. Sun clouds low of 71. Tomorrow, only up to 90 to 87, excuse me. Chance of thunderstorms at night, low of 71. And then chance of rain gets pretty high on Monday. So let's get the gardening done on the weekend, and the rain can come whenever it will during the week. Your full weekend forecast comes in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Melvin's out in Austell, and Melvin joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Melvin, good morning. Good, good morning, Mr. Walter. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine. How can I help, Melvin? I, I was calling about, I, I planted some red uh, red potatoes, Yeah. and I don't know when to harvest them. And they got some yellow. They got some blooms coming on top of them. That's a pretty and good sign that it's time when the when the top of Irish potatoes when the leaves start turning sort of yellow, and the stems will flop a little bit. They get sort of lax and they lay down on the ground when there's lots of flowers coming up on it. All of that says time to harvest Irish potatoes, and that is what you should do this weekend. Oh, thank you very much. I, I, was, I was just wondering. I was just worried. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know when the holidays. <laughs> they won't get any bigger if you if you uh, leave them in the ground. So harvesting now before the meadow mice can crawl in there and chew okay. them up. And when you can I still... got a better understanding now with with the with the uh, I got some uh, flowering bugs coming up, yeah. and you telling me about the leaves yeah. uh, falling down. It should be time to harvest them. Time to harvest. You get a little spading for it, go in and lo- loosen the soil, and it's like a treasure hunt. A treasure hunt. You. See those potatoes underneath the ground. It's the most wonderful thing in the world to pick up potatoes. Take them inside, wash the dirt off of them, bake them, put them in a soup, a little potato soup. Oh, man, that would be really good. A little uh, garlic and salt on the outside, roast them in the oven. Oh, Melvin, 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 what a great meal you can have. It's 728. We'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 736, 70 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful doing whatever you want to do with your lawn or your trees or your shrubs or your weeds or your bugs or whatever you got a question about. You can ask right here, 404-872-0750. On Twitter, you can put a question to me by putting ask, hashtag AskWalter on your Twitter uh, question. Ashley will go through Twitter and see if we have any questions there and read them out. We'll see what we got. 
Let's see, Danny. Danny. Danny's in Porterdale and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Danny. Good morning. Welcome to Lawn and Garden. Good morning, Walter. What's up? What I need to ask you, uh, what's the best way to uh, protect seed? In other words, I'm trying to sow grass. Yeah. Uh, and to protect seed from uh, rain and so forth after the grass has been sown. What kind of seed? Well, this is a uh, 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 deep shade Kentucky fescue, and uh, mm. you know I, I just need to I, when in, when you sow the seed, it's approximately at least two weeks before it starts to germinate. Yeah. After it germinates, you've got to protect it from there. If you have two or three different storms between in that time, yeah, that could be a serious problem. So uh, I've, I've heard of straw, but I was hoping you had a better way or something like that to protect it so it wouldn't wash away. Did you, did you ever watch Stephen Colbert on TV? Stephen Colbert? Stephen Colbert. Sure. He, I don't think so. He had a segment on his on his show called Wag of the Finger, Tip of the Hat, and where he would either tell somebody they'd done something crazy or he would tip his hat to somebody who'd done something neat and interesting. In this case, Denny, you earned a wag of the finger because, <laughs> because uh, okay. planting Kentucky 31 fescue in June is not the greatest thing you can do for Kentucky 31 fescue. It is hot. It has a hard time germinating when it's above 90 degrees, and it'll be more. It'll be shorter than two weeks, man. Once you plant that seed, I wouldn't stand for very long on that on that pile of ground because the seeds will come up. Bloop in the next three days, probably four days, maybe, if it gets a little moisture in there. And so the question becomes, are they even going to survive being planted in June, much less are they going to survive being hit on by the rain and washed down the hill and everything that, that you described, Denny? So let's put it this way. Let's cross our fingers really tight for Brother Denny that his fescue will germinate, which I'm sure it will, but it needs to be protected, I think, by a very, very thin covering of wheat straw. That's what most everybody uses. If you go to a garden center and say, I need a bale of wheat straw, cover it thinly, Denny. I see so many people who go out and just spread it real thick, and it's like mulching. That's not what you're trying to do. You're just trying to, like you're trying to do, hold it from erosion and a thin covering of wheat straw where you can see some ground in there where the sunshine can penetrate down to the seeds and warm the soil and make those seeds germinate out of the ground, then that's what I would do, is a little thin layer of wheat straw. Well, I don't disagree with what you're saying. Uh, quite frankly, I, the other, what, Thursday? It yeah. rained. Yeah. Uh, I lost about four months' worth of work. Oh. I lost uh, the seed. I lost the topsoil. I lost the uh, the uh, everything else that I had to do to it, mm. and we'll skip a lot of detail here. Uh, so I understand what you're saying. I was supposed to have it done a lot earlier. Yeah. But, uh, on my schedule, it's kind of hard to do. <laughs> so, uh, but what what do I do now? I need some seed. I don't have it. My, most of my topsoil is gone. Uh, what uh, the the ditch filled with water? I mean, we really had a bad. I had the perfect storm in my area. Yeah. So what do I do now? I yeah. gotta have some grass. Yeah, and there's a biblical story, you know, Danny, about the ox in the ditch. If the ox is in the ditch on Sunday morning, you don't go to Sunday school, you get the ox out of the ditch. And your ox in the ditch was you needed some grass. No matter what happens, you got to have grass right now. So think of ways maybe, Danny, putting even something dumb like, like rocks or two-by-fours or s cinder blocks or something at the top of the hill that'll at least interrupt the flow of water down across where you're planting the seeds. 
And because you lost a good bit of topsoil, if there's any way that you can maybe put the seed down and then lightly scatter some topsoil on top of the seed to give them just a little bit of better environment to grow in, that would be all to the good, too. Okay. Yeah, I'll probably have to have some hauled in and then uh, uh, work it in somehow. I yeah. And and then, and like I say, stop the erosion physically with cinder blocks or 2F4s or uh, landscape timbers or something like that. So the water is diverted to some other place that can take the water flow and so it doesn't go across your seed bed. But, okay. Well, what type of uh, seed should I plant? I got uh, got a lot of shade. Uh, man, see, Denny, you're giving me a situation where even in the shade, even planting in the fall like you ought to do, fescue needs at least four to five hours of direct sun to keep from having bare spots and weeds and all sorts of maintenance issues. If it were me, Denny, if it were me, I would be thinking real, real tightly about putting mulch underneath there and forgetting about seed. If it's deep shade... The grass is never going to prosper. Denny's going to spend all this money going seed and out of worrying about the erosion and all the other situations you can get into. Change your thoughts. Change the way you're planting. Change the way you do your landscape underneath. Think about mulching. Think about uh, shade-tolerant plants like ferns and hosta and all the different things, hellebores that grow in the shade, and stop thinking grass because grass, I don't think, is going to thrive there. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I understand. I, I understand the hostile thing, uh, but I, we're talking about my whole front lawn. So well, I guess I'll have to bite the bullet and just, just keep going. But I do thank you for your answer. Anyway. All right, Denny. Uh, you pay me the big bucks to give you honest answers and not paint pie-in-the-sky pictures. And my pie-in-the-sky pictures doesn't include a lot of grass and deep shade. It just doesn't work. Okay. All right. All right. Have fun, my much. friend. We'll see you soon. Right, 7.42, Denny didn't like that answer exactly, but I told him the truth. In deep shade, that fescue wasn't going to be, <laughs> it was going to be washed away before it ever thrived and did good in the shade. Even though the label says, yes, I know the label says this seed does well in deep shade, blah, 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 blah. Good luck with that. Emily is in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and Georgia's on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Emily, good morning. Good morning, Walter. Um, we're glad that you had a nice trip and you came back a little older, a little wiser, older. <laughs> but we missed you, Walter. Ashley did a terrific job. I listened to her. I told you I listened to her. She was doing fine. We turned off the radio with great confidence. She was taking care of the show while we were gone. What can I do for you, Emily? Okay, Walter, I have some burning bushes, yeah. and they're all woodsy at the bottom, and all the green is like up at the top. Yeah. Is it time, or is it a good time that I could cut that back and maybe the bottom flourish back out? Yes, um, but cutting back means that you're going to have to cut it back to very close to the bottom because the effect of pruning generally is around six or seven inches away from where you make a cut. If your burning bush is four feet high and you cut your cut it down to three feet high, you're only going to get new growth around the three foot to two and a half foot level. It's not going to make it get any thicker down way low, two feet lower than that. So if you okay. want the bottom to be thick, you're going to cut it down to 12 inches or so and let it re-sprout at that point. Okay. Okay. Uh, would the same thing be sort of on the same line for gardenias after they get through blooming? Praise goodness. Look at all the gardenias in Atlanta. They've all got tall and flopped over in the 
blossoms are all in the mud underneath them. Yes, 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 yes. yes. As soon as they finish blooming, mine are about finished now, uh, cut them back by at least a third, maybe a half. Okay. All right. Um, Walter, can I ask a quick question? It's got to be quick. You know what Ashley told you just now? Not to ask another question. You know she said that, Emily, but go no, ahead. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. Oh, well, in that case, Ashley, Walter, you should have told. Go ahead, Emily. I was uh, at my sister's house, and there was hail damage done to plants yeah. Thursday evening. The caladiums are just, somebody has just tore them off. Shredded them, it's yeah. hail. Yeah. And it was about the size of marble hail. Well, the caladium, will they reek? put on new leaves quickly probably not but you have to use some judgment here because in my view many times hail damage yes shredded the leaves and the the hosta looks awful and the caladiums look awful and things that got shredded look awful but many times leaving the leaves on is better for the plant because the plant still has some photosynthesis going on in the leaf. In other words, the leaf okay. is not damaged, it's not diseased, it's not going to fall off. It's simply going to have a shred, a slit, and, you know, holes knocked in it. So my feeling is that very gradual prune back of the coleus, caladiums, and things like that, and allow it to put on new leaves if it wants to, but don't just prune everything off and see what happens okay. because it may not put anything back if you take everything off now. Okay. All right. The squash plants were just... Ooh, I can just imagine what they look like. There are virtually no squash plants yeah. left. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in our garden. It's, um, it, it's just heartbreaking, and we kept thinking about what a farmer must go through when they have sure. a field of crops that they're counting on. Or a peach orchard or a blueberry orchard that we had this past uh, spring in the freeze, yes. Yes. Okay. Walter, glad to have you back. It's great talking to you, Emily. All right. Glad thanks. to be back. Bye-bye. See you soon. 404 is the number. A reminder, now that I am back, is you can go to my website and look up all sorts of things that I've written in the past... 20 years that are on there right now. You can sign up for my newsletter. It comes out every two weeks. There's always interesting things in the newsletter about how to do things and what to do and sort of local topics that have happened in the last couple of days. Not forgetting that we're still in a watering ban right now. I have an outline of the watering ban in Atlanta that's going on right this very minute. You're only supposed to water every other day in Atlanta right now, according to the rules. Also, you can follow me on Facebook, follow me on Pinterest. You can get podcasts. Did you know this? You can get podcasts of the show such that if you miss it on a Saturday morning, you can download it onto your iPhone or onto your computer and listen to it during the week. You can sign up for the podcast on my website as well. All that happens at WalterReeves.com, WalterReeves.com. And if you have a question that you want some answers and have pictures, that pictures are great, down at the bottom right-hand corner where it says Contact Walter, click on that. Send me an email with pictures, and I'll see if I can help you with that. It's 747. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today, high in the 90s, low 90s actually. Today, sun and clouds, low 71 tonight. Tomorrow, high of 87. 
And the chance of thunderstorms overnight. Pretty good chance of rain on Monday, low of 71 overnight tomorrow. So let's plan to get our gardening done on the weekend. Let the rains come on Monday and your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Elaine is out in Swanee and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Elaine, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you? I'm great. How can I help, Elaine? I've got a similar situation to Denny, the yeah. caller just a few minutes ago. I've got a slope yeah. in a shaded area, um, lots of trees above it, yeah. and it's a bare spot now. And um, I understand that, you know, the cylinder blocks and or um, landscaping timbers up at the top, but I need something that's hardy um, and sits low to the ground for a good ground cover. I have a... Uh, German short-haired pointer that loves to, to run through the, the yard, and right. he'll probably create a path down there, but I want to be able to walk down there and want some kind of hardy, low-ground cover other than grass because we know it won't grow. Yeah. And how much shade? Tell me again, Elaine. I would say um, because of the trees covered up above, it, it gets some sun but not a lot. And we're yet to move in, so I'm not sure mm. about just the amount of hours that it actually gets. Have you ever we seen uh, landscape experts, professionals, take a spray can with paint in it, and they go out to a landscape site that they're going to uh, install plants on, and they use it to draw circles and squares and, and various things uh, where they're going to put their various shrubs and trees and perennials. You would be well advised, Elaine, to go out there, and with somebody else maybe to give you some different opinions about what to do. And rather than thinking of one ground cover to cover the whole slope, which I don't think is going to work because I just think there's not one that really fits your needs, to yeah. make a combination of hardscaping, meaning rocks and stones that will slow some water down if there's a particular part of the slope that uh, water tends to concentrate on, that's where I put the rocks, where the water doesn't ever have a chance of washing plants away down the hill like we had with, with Denny earlier. And then with your spray can, go out there and spray another big circle, maybe an area where you can have a shade-tolerant plant like a juga. A juga is one good shade-tolerant plant. Um, green and gold is another one, nice perennial spreading ground cover. Green and gold is good. Huh? Green and gold? Green and gold. That's the that's common name for it, green and gold. And then maybe another place, you could even put something like the clumping monkey grass with the pretty, pretty white, blue flowers, and maybe a variegated monkey grass would look nice in there. There's places where, strike me dead for saying it, but there may be a place that you have that English ivy is the only choice, one that really tolerates dense shade. English ivy is about your only choice. And well, and the there's places, a lot of ivy that's in the natural area behind that. And we're actually wanting to remove all of that. All right, let's let's strike English Ivy from the conversation then. One place that you might find a lot of inspiration, Elaine, is the Native Plant Botanical Garden in South DeKalb County. I believe the, the website is GPC for Georgia Perimeter College, gpcnativeplantgarden.com, or .org maybe. But the Native Plant Botanical Garden in South DeKalb County has a lot of shade-tolerant, perennial plants that may do well and they have plant sales too which is great Elaine because you can get some plants that you might not find in a nursery but go down there and Ora Naglich who runs the place is almost always there there are volunteers there who are very knowledgeable about growing plants in shade because they grow a big fern area so they know about doing that get some inspiration from that 
get your spray can, go out on the hillside, spray some areas, and make this hard, this green, this not, this ground cover. And I think you can make a nice landscape that the dog will enjoy, you'll enjoy, without invasive plants going in there. It's 7.58. We'll be back after news.